Father, uh, you are uh, holy and your name is holy. And uh, as we are here gathered this morning, Lord, would you give us a deeper awareness, a deeper sense of your holiness and how your name is set apart. Uh, Lord, would you be uh, glorified in this time where we hear your word. And as your word uh, is read and goes forth, Father, would you allow your word to be planted as a seed uh, to, um, to bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, one of my most vivid memories of being in kindergarten was when, when some of my friends and I got into a fight. And uh, it wasn't like we weren't fighting like that, but we were fighting with, with our words. And uh, this looked like uh, saying to one another, my dad can beat up your dad. And then the, then the other kid would go, no, my dad is stronger than your dad. He can take your dad down. And we go back and forth for quite a while. And uh, what was happening there is that uh, for the first time in our lives, we, we realized that we are not the most important person in the world. There are other very, very important people in this world. And because uh, we grew up in, in the house, you know, growing up, and we're nurtured and we're loved by our parents. And uh, we finally arrived to the conclusion uh, when we get to school that these people as well uh, got uh, loved by the, received love from their parents and, and so forth. And so in feeling this threat that we're not the most important person in the world, we try to call uh, the, the, the strong arm, the strong man to, to take down what is threatening us, what is causing this fear in our life. And so in uh, preparing this sermon, I was wondering, is this how we are treating God? Is that how um, we we relate to God. Is He the the strong arm that's going to come and and defeat what threatens our our our, our preference, our, our image of the good life? So if you uh, can turn to your Bibles, we'll look at Deuteronomy uh, chapter five, and uh, we're going to look just uh, through the uh, the beginning of the Ten Commandments and going all the way down to the third commandment. So starting in in verse six in chapter five, it says, "I am the Lord your God." who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So here we are in a series uh, where we're looking at the, uh, the Ten Commandments. We've gone through the first commandment, which talks about the importance of God in our lives. Uh, it talks about now that we're in this relationship with God, God has saved these people from Egypt. He saved them from slavery to himself. He saved them from slavery to freedom. And now, in order to preserve that freedom of what it really means to be human, it means to have this relationship with God. God is the most important uh, in our life. We, we direct our lives uh, through this uh, compass, which is the reality that God is the God of all creation, and he's the God who loves us, and who has saved us. And so that, that's the first commandment. Second commandment, now we need to have a right perception of God. Uh, we don't create our own image of God. Uh, we don't create God in our likeness. God has created us in his likeness. And so we want to preserve his essence. God is a God who is transcendent and cannot be contained. 
And now we're at the third commandment today, uh, which talks about God's name, taking God's name in vain. And uh, I think what we're, what we're going to look at is, is that um, if, we want to, if we're going to take God's name in vain, his identity is what is uh, not necessarily at stake, but that's, that's what we're, we're looking at here when we're thinking of God's name. So in the context of a, of a relationship, we see here that Israel has a new relationship with God. God is their God. They are his people. And so they're taking on a new name. Uh, the God of Israel is saving them, and he's sharing his identity with them. Just yesterday, I went to a, uh, to a wedding. My cousin got married, and it was very exciting, great ceremony and everything. We had a wonderful time. And uh, what happened there is uh, they came together. They uh, decided to uh, come together in a covenant that will uh, last until their death. And, uh, and that means that their old relationships, like their families, their immediate families with their parents, uh, those are not the sources of their identity anymore. They're coming together to form a new identity. Okay, so this is very similar to the, to the image here of Israel and God, is that they're coming together to form a new identity. And in the structure of relationship, God is the king. God is the creator of all things, and he created hum- humanity in his image. So they are the ones who are going to reflect God's character. Another example of that is um, just a few years ago, I moved to Montreal to do my undergraduate studies in music, and uh, we, uh, stud- the students, uh, we loved to, to just, you know, explore the city a bit. It was a very lively city, and um, part of, of, of being a Montrealer is that you love the Montreal Canadiens, and uh, I found myself loving the Montreal Canadiens and just kind of being part of the crowd and everything, right? And a lot of my friends, because it's an international school, we had a lot of American friends who came, and uh, they've never watched hockey in their lives, but all of a sudden they start coming out to the to the place where people watch hockey games, and uh, we um, we enjoyed the hockey games together, and they started liking hockey and started liking the Montreal Canadiens, because that's what it's like to be a Montrealer, you, you like the Canadiens. And... Um, so in, in, the, in that sense as well, uh, we uh, kind of enter into this tribe or this family, uh, any type of, of group of people to share an identity with. And now Israel, they're, they're coming together uh, under God and uh, sharing his identity and uh, becoming more like him. So this commandment is, is talking about not taking the Lord's name in vain. Um, so I'll just read it again in verse 11. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And uh, what it's talking about here, in vain, it's talking about um, just uh, em- emptiness or futility. We're, we're, we're reducing God's name to something that it's, it's not. Um, or uh, even so, we're, we're talking about God uh, in a way that doesn't reflect his reputation. And uh, so, uh, not taking in vain is not really about how we understand in vain, how we understand futility, or uh, how we understand um, a, a bad reputation. It's talking about, it's starting at God's reputation. We're starting with, with God's holiness, uh, God's, uh, and God's intentions, God's will in life. So a, a good example that we see in the Bible is found in, in Leviticus. I'm not going to read it. I mean, it's, it's just, it's very short. It's talking about uh, making oaths. When people come together uh, in the courts and they want to, um, to find out what's, what's true. Did this person actually kill so-and-so? And somebody would uh, if, if they want this person to be, um, to be found guilty, they, they might use the Lord's name in vain and saying, I swear to the Lord that I'm telling the truth, and then say, this person is guilty. 
Okay, so that's that's taking the Lord's name in vain. But there's also other examples, and uh, just to, to see a, maybe a positive example of uh, of taking the Lord uh, in an oath is found in Joshua. So I'm going to turn to Joshua for uh, just for a second. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can there, turn there as well. It's in Joshua chapter two, and we'll look uh, in verse eight. So here the Israelites are coming to to the land. They're coming to Jericho, and uh, they're about to take possession of, of Jericho. And um, so they enter the, into this, this house where, where there is uh, Rahab, the prostitute. And uh, Rahab is, is asking them to, uh, to have mercy on her and her family. So here we are, uh, verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the, to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you have devoted to destruct, destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is a God, he, uh, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, and here it is. Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt, dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will, uh, that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters. So just uh, here we have a, a picture of, of Rahab um, in, in the culture. She doesn't have much standing. Uh, she, is, uh, she is a prostitute and therefore she, she has no uh, no way to protect herself. And so she's calling on the Lord of, of the Israelites, the God who uh, cleared the waters from Egypt. Egypt was the most powerful nation at the time. And uh, so she's calling on them because she knows that the Lord is powerful. Uh, she mentioned how, um, how she knows the testimonies of the Lord and how he um, devoted to destruction the other kings. And so her people and, and herself, they were afraid, they were frightened because God is a powerful God. So uh, here's the first uh, point, if we can have that on the, on the slide. By faith, I enter a relationship with God and humbly share in his identity. So, so far we've seen that um, when, when, we, when we see God's testimonies, when we see that God is a powerful God, um, uh, he is a God who is safe, and so we come to him in relationship by faith, and, and humbly share his identity. This, this is the next step. When we come by faith, we come to share his identity. Um, so some of you uh, are, are guests here, and so you don't know really who I am. My name is Jonathan. My last name is Kamire. Uh, growing up, I got to understand that there are certain expectations in the family that are, that are kind of passed down that uh, Kamire men should look in such a way. It wasn't necessarily taught, but it's something that I can observe. So Khmeri men are, are men who are uh, skillful workers. They, they work with their hands. They provide for their families. They respect the elderly, uh, they, and, and so on and so forth, right? They, uh, they, they, they take care of, of their families. And, and uh, so this is what I got to see uh, modeled in my family. And so it was expected that I would somehow look like a Khmeri when I would grow up, and I would share in those matters and share in those values. And, uh, and so we see so far in the picture of, of, of Jericho and uh, of the Exodus that God is a merciful God uh, who rescues a people 
who are in slavery. He's gracious to them. He's abounding in steadfast love. And so his people are to extend that to the world. And so when the Israelites went to, uh, to Rahab's house and she asked that she, that she would be protected, um, they protected her and they, they preserved her life and her family. And so the big picture here is that for Christians, as we're in covenant with Jesus, we are ambassadors for his name, our allegiances to Christ. So let's, uh, let's go back to this commandment. And uh, let's just look at something that, that I find fairly interesting. So in verse 6, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the houses of slavery. These Ten Commandments are addressing the people of God. They're addressing Israel. When we think of not taking the Lord's name in vain, we can often think, well, maybe it's like swearing, saying, the, saying OMG or saying a bad word, and we think of uh, other people, unless unless you're someone who uses bad words, which that's that's up that's between you and God. But uh, we we might think it's out there. It's something that happens out there, but not really in. It doesn't really happen here. But the commandment is talking to the people of God, and there's a way that the people of God might use His name in vain. So why why is God talking? to his people and, and asking them to not take uh, his name in vain. Uh, let's look at our second point for today, uh, Andrew. In my pride, I enter a relationship with God to have my wishes and desires granted. Now, this is a bit... Uh, oh, what's the right word? Maybe sarcastic. Um, so th- this, is, this is really the, the, the hidden parts of our, of our hearts. Uh, if you're like me... If you're wicked like me, your prayers uh, usually re- uh, resemble, God, do this for me. God, do that for me. And we always start like that. And I always catch myself, like, what am I doing? Like, God is a holy God. God is a God who is more than just my genie. He's not a genie. God loves uh, to, to have our, our requests and have us to ask him for things. But he's much more than that. And uh, so in our pride, in my pride, I enter a relationship with God to have my wishes and desires granted. Now, I, I might offend some of you here. I apologize uh, if Psalm 20, verse 4, is your life verse, uh, because it's likely taken out of context. Uh, it goes like this. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. Um, so, does this mean that, you know, I want to have this mansion or I want to have this beautiful car or a trophy wife or whatnot? Does, does this mean that if I pray to God for those things, he will desire, he will give them to us because we desire them? Well, actually, this verse is in the context of, of a holy war and uh, it comes after, may the Lord receive your, your sacrifices. And so it's talking about the messianic victory over sin and death. And so we have to be careful when we look at verses like these, that we don't come to God as one who will be our servant, one who will be our genie, who will do everything that we ask him to do. And so I think the big picture here is that the problem of using God's name in vain is to associate him with purposes and powers that are inconsistent with his identity and his will. So why does God not hold him guiltless who uses his name in vain? This is what the commandment says, and it might make us feel uncomfortable. Like, aren't we uh, like the people of God, and, and aren't we you know, re- really uh, uh, cherished and loved? And yes, th- those are true. 
And there's also this word here. So let's look again. Uh, verse 11. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So why does the Lord not hold him guiltless who uses his name in vain? Well, there's something special about God's name. There's something very special about it. Um, when my parents named me Jonathan, or they were going to name me Jonathan, my oldest brother said, by no means, don't call him Jonathan. And they were like, why not? Uh, and he was like, because he reminds me of this weasel kid at school who just bothers me so much. Can't stand him. Don't call him Jonathan. And so for him, the name Jonathan was so associated with, uh, with the reputation of this, this kid from school. And so, uh, even, even so, when I, when I think of, um, when I think of the name of, uh, say, George, you think of, you think of George, you think of the way he laughs and the way he preaches and, and he goes to Starbucks. You, you have all these images that come to mind. And so, uh, when, <laughs> when we're thinking of God's name, we're thinking of his reputation, his fame. Uh, when, uh, when Moses went to the burning bush in the cave, he, uh, he received God's revelation of his name. God said, I am that I am. Now, that might not mean anything unless you're a philosopher, but what that means is that I am that I am means that he is self-sufficient. God is self-existent, and, uh, and that is who God is in his essence, his identity. He does not need anyone. He does not, to be, he does not need to be fed, or he does not to need to be clothed uh, to stay warm. God is self-existent, self-sufficient. And when Israel would think of Yahweh, the name of God given in the covenant, they would think of the Passover and of the Exodus and how God brought the ten plagues and how he made a covenant with them at Sinai. And um, and now when we think of, of Jesus in our culture, we think of a bad word. If you're going to hear Jesus on the bus, you think, oh, someone's angry or, or someone something bad happened somewhere. And so we uh, we think of, of Jesus the, with uh, and we associate it badly. So but the reality is that when we think of the, the, right, the real name of Jesus is uh, in Hebrew, Yeshua, which means uh, God is our Savior. God is salvation. So as Christians, we're entrusted with that message, that name, that God is salvation, that there's, there's, uh, there's hope in Jesus. And so we are expected to resemble uh, Jesus, and we're expected to reflect his morals, and because we're the ones who represent him on earth in all the spheres of our lives, and uh, whether we're at school or at work or at home, everywhere, we're supposed to carry that name of Jesus. When we come into that relationship, he seals us with the Holy Spirit, writes his name on us, and so now we are his, and um, we have this uh, this mission that we are about. We're, we're supposed to create that reputation for him. So, so far we've talked about a lot of things that the, the, the commandment covers, uh, but we haven't really talked about the elephant in the room. We talked a little bit about it, but um, you might be wondering, when is he going to talk about swearing and, and saying bad words? There has to be something connected, something related with the third commandment. Well, let me talk just a bit about uh, when people say, oh God, or oh my God, or, or, or Jesus, in associating with something bad. I'll just talk briefly about that. It's kind of similar to thank, when we say thank goodness. It's kind of like that, uh, that we're not affiliating with Jesus or, or God, but we're thankful to something that's greater than us because we have in us a sense, a, a real deep sense that there is 
uh, God who is who's greater than us. And so we, we, we just say thank goodness when even if there's no one at the end of our thankfulness to receive that thankfulness. And so when we say things like like OMG or or we, we slur uh, God's name in such a way, we sub, we show that we subconsciously believe in God's existence to blame him for bad things. Yet we suppress his existence when good things happen. It's very rare that we'll hear someone say, or use bad, uh, God's name badly when something bad happens. But when something good happens, sorry, I might have said that wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's very rare that we'll hear somebody say God's name badly, uh, and then also say, uh, and thank God when things happen well. Okay? So, it's either you, you believe that God exists and, and, and you stop blaming Him for the, for the bad things, or you believe that he does exist and you start thanking him for the good things. Uh, here's the third point. It's easy to blame God when bad things happen and uncomfortable to thank God when good things happen. The Bible tells us that worship is marked by thanksgiving, when we thank God. And so here's the question. Is thankfulness uh, to God part of your life? See, when we look at a commandment like this, it's talking about not taking the Lord's name in vain. There's also a positive implication. So that's kind of like a negative implication. Uh, but if we kind of flip it around, uh, are you using God's name to bless? Are you using God's name to encourage? Because there's still power in the name, right? So, we, so are we able to, to, to speak God's name in a way that builds up people, that pr- provides hope in the midst of, of despair? Now, just in a bit of an aside here, um, because we're talking about speech and using God's name, we should talk about uh, speech in general, just for a moment. Um, I think that we uh, should consider uh, repenting for pessimism and unfounded optimism. I think those are two things that are marking us a lot, that when we carry God's name, that if we're overly pessimistic and, and, and optimistic in a way that's unfounded in reality, it's not bearing witness. We need to be realistic yet hopeful. That's I think that's where the the tension is. It's not being pessimistic or optimistic or both. It's being realistic about about the events of life and being hopeful at the same time. So what does realistic uh, yet hopeful look like? Where do we start? Uh, the fourth slide, please. The name of Jesus is above every name in heaven and on earth. He subdued the old creation to make all things new. This is where the, the rubber hits the road. Uh, God has revealed himself, and uh, he's revealed himself in Jesus, his son that he sent for us. Uh, and when, uh, when Jesus lived the perfect life, he fulfilled all the commandments, uh, and Jesus was, was crucified on the cross. And when the cross uh, came and, and Jesus was crucified on the cross, he split time into, in two. There was the old order of things where things uh, were going towards curse and sin and destruction and decay. And the cross came and he broke that uh, flow of history and brought in a new creation so that when, when we uh, think of Jesus, we think that Jesus is the, the name above all names. He's the, the name that uh, God has given him, the name that is exalted above every name so that every knee should bow uh, at the end, and confess that, that he is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that is the end of history. That's what it's going to look like. And so for us as Christians, as we bear the name of Jesus, uh, we bear the significance of the Messiah. 
which means new creation, which means hope. And so this is why I, I am pleading with you. Uh, we are the witnesses uh, of Christ. We bear his name in our workplace, in, in our homes, in, in school. And so to be a Christian is to live out uh, in humility before God, is to be a people, is to be the people of salvation, the people of forgiveness, the people of love, of mercy, of new creation. As ambassadors for Christ, this is the name that we are articulating to people in the way that we act. We're kind of uh, expositing, we're articulating it or explaining it to people what it means to be a Christian. We are the, as Christians, we are those of Christ. Um, that's what Christians mean. So, um, this is the call to be a Christian. And so, as Christians, do we properly carry the name of Christ to his glory? Let's pray. Father, uh, you've uh, given your son the name that is above all names. And uh, Lord, you call us to relationship with you. You call us uh, to, to love you into a covenant where you bestow to us that name of Jesus, that, that we are Christians now. And uh, Lord, help us each day to reflect the image of Christ to bear his reputation, to create this reputation in those who don't know Jesus so that they will know the name of Jesus as Savior, as, as merciful, as loving, as gracious. Uh, Lord, would you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and press in our hearts uh, the goodness that we uh, taste and see in Jesus. Help us this day. Help us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.